0: Your host is in the trenches. He's a real estate attorney, financial analyst, and mobile home park investor and operator. Now, let's turn it over to Ferd Neiman.
1: Welcome back Mobile Home Park Nation. Ferd Neiman here again today with another episode of the Mobile Home Park Lawyer Podcast. My guest today's special guest, we just closed a loan together. It had some it had some hair on it, so I'm glad that we got to have a successful result. And we can tell the fun side of the story instead of the yeah. bad side of the story where I thought we were 30 days ago. But uh, this guy, he's a mortgage loan originator, works with banks of all sizes. He also used to be the CFO and came up through an accounting through another mobile home park fund that has uh, hundreds of parks, one of the top five in the country. He's, he's got all kinds of MHP experience and understands finance, understands a brokerage. Great to have him on as a guest. Please help me welcome Brad Reimer. Brad, thanks for coming on.
2: Yeah, thank you very much, Bert. I appreciate it. And I look forward to the uh, the podcast here. Yeah, well,
1: good good to connect on this. Glad we've had lots of calls on uh, one particular detail of late, but good to talk macro level industry uh, industry trends, lending trends, your experience. For those of our audience that don't know you as well as I do, maybe give us a little bit more about your background and how you got into this asset class.
2: Sure. So I've been in commercial real estate for over 22 years. Uh, actually, when I first, ever since I came out here to Denver, And I started off at Marcus and Millichap, and and worked my way through all the different levels of commercial real estate, ranging from uh, direct lender, private lender, um, working as a consultant with banks during the workout periods during the whole recession. Um, Then ended up starting my own company, mortgage origination, Stonebridge Capital, Um, Capital Advisors, here with some local, um, uh, local heavy hitters in the the mortgage, or sorry, in the uh, sales brokerage arena. And after that, uh, branched off, started uh, working with as finance and acquisitions director with a major uh, company of, for, for uh, multifamily Class A uh, campuses. And then from there, uh, actually, Dave Reynolds found me, uh, was looking for a CFO that had experience in um, scaling up companies, getting them ready to go public and, and, and kind of phasing them into the next level of company growth. And that's when Dave found me. And I joined them and spent a lot of time and, and, and growth period with that company and then eventually started Overleaf Capital Group. That's great.
1: You have a unique experience, Brad. You're one of, everybody else gets to go to Frank and Dave Bootcamp. You got to work with those guys. That's kind Yeah, of cool. I got
2: to work directly with them, right? The, I got, I've got the direct knowledge from the gurus.
1: <laughs> that's great, man. That's, that's fun <laughs> stuff. So, well, I'm interested in, Brad, in your opinion in the market right now, I think you're seeing it as much as anybody that lots of demand right now. Prices are going up. Obviously, interest rates have been historically low. Of late, they've gone up a little bit. What do you, what are you for, foreshadow in the next six to
2: 12 months? And then really in the next several years is where the MHP market's going. Sure, sure. So I think I, I think when you and I begin talking about a couple of the projects that you're working on for your individual portfolio, we, t- we discussed about what's going to take place in 2021 and how with, with COVID and, and the change in commercial real estate sectors in total, the, the multifamily side was going to be the one that needed the or was going to receive the most attention. And obviously, sticks and bricks, class A, class B was still going to take a hit. Because at the end of the day, people were still living paycheck to paycheck. People that were renting couldn't afford it. And losing their jobs or losing their, their safety net, they needed a little bit of help. And so the class A market rate apartments were definitely going to take a hit. And, and the lenders couldn't, they, they still needed to make sense of that asset class. I think at the end of the day, when you and I were talking at the beginning, I described how the, this is being the low income sector that is easiest to make sense of. And I think a lot of a lot of your viewers and a lot of my clients and, and, and generally speaking, a lot of people transitioning from the commercial realm are, are looking at this as the, the, the class that easily makes sense. And um, right now the market is obviously very hefty. And, and I think when we when we talked last year about the forecast for 2021, what I what I think is gonna take place in the next six to twelve months is there's going to be cap rate compression. I think that they're, we're going to see probably the largest amount of transactions in the MHC sector, probably of all time, in one given year. Um, and in terms of cap rates, I've seen cap rates shrink by 150, 200 basis points in what the cap rate for the evaluation took place just half mid of last year. So where we were seeing eight and a half, you know, eight to eight and a half cap rates on your your class B, class C of MHC, they're now in the 6.75 to seven and a half. And that's kind of what I was looking forward to when I was looking, I was kind of forecasting. And then I think interest rate wise, we're seeing reflection of that. I, interest rates with spreads over the top, they're going over the treasuries, treasuries are on the uptick, but spreads aren't. So I think we're still gonna see you know low fours, high threes, low fours. And in some sectors where it's a little bit harder to make sense, I think we're gonna see in the fives, but this is still the sector that makes sense. This is the darling right now. And I think there's gonna be a lot of traction moving forward.
1: No, I, I agree with you. Lots, lots of good insights there. Um, you, you mentioned the spreads. I mean, I, I'm I'm worried a little bit that interest rates are going to go up. Lenders can cut their spread a little bit, cut their margin to keep rates yeah. low. But is that what's got to happen? Or I'm worried if cap rates go down, you know, from eight, eight and a half down to say five and a half, and if interest rates are going from three, three and a half up to low fours. I mean, the spread yep. between interest rate and the cap rate is in some instances a 125 basis points or less. I mean. Obviously, there's opportunity for infill on some parks and you can make your money, so to speak, by increasing occupancy. But on a stabilized asset or relatively stabilized, how is that going to work out? Is it just a lower cost of capital for your big buyers or are people going to have to just take a lower margin or are banks going to take lower margin to keep the, the wheels of commerce moving? What do you think?
2: Yeah, I think it's I think it's a mixture of both. Honestly, Fred. I think. Where the deals that honestly make sense that lenders are going to chase after, and, and lenders, I mean, like your big regional banks, and even on some, some bigger deals, probably agency, because uh, you're talking about stabilized communities. If it's right. a stabilized community, then you're talking about more demand from a regional bank, the bigger banks, or agency themselves. Um, I think what's got to take place is the, the investors got to look at this differently where we were talking about kind of uh, buying it at a seven cap, right? Buying it at a seven and seven and a half cap and really underwriting it after you really put your, your secret mix into the financials or your pro forma. And it was truly maybe called a 10 to 13 cap in your underwriting out of the gates. You got to shrink that down. I think that that's one thing is your expectations probably should go from a 10 to 13 cap down to maybe a nine. And maybe an eight and a half to nine. I mean, there there are appraisals that are coming out still with most of my deals that are ranging anywhere from call to six and three quarters up to one that I just received that was a nine. But that's that that deal that was a nine cap was it was in a rural area of Georgia. It made sense, but it's still it's in terms of uh the value per unit, it didn't match the market. So it received an eight and a half cap right? And there was another one that received a nine cap. So I think the valuation itself is a little bit different, but I think your expectations on, on how you underwrite it and what you're going to get in your returns should be probably shrunk a little bit because, and it's going to be that way. Cap rates are going to continue to shrink on this asset class. And I think expectations because of the competitive nature and who's coming into the market, there's a lot more buyers now, a lot more familiarity with the sector. So I think your expectations as an investor need to go down in terms of your valuation. I think lenders need to understand where do they, how many are they being competitive with the market and are they offering a competitive product?
1: No, no good, in, good insights. I think you're definitely spot on that more and more buyers are coming to the market and that's going to drive prices down. And, you know, if you want to be competitive in the market, you have to, you know, either a find deal with not on the market or, or yep. B, have a lower expectation in the market because somebody else has a lower yield expectation. So I mean, yep. I tell people all the time, like I'm, I'm glad I got in this space, you know, seven eight years ago. But I wish I'd have got in full time a couple of years before that, and I'd have you been know, retired by now, right? I mean, right, right, right. Hot, you know? <laughs> well, but,
2: I've I've, right. Had, I've had many bankers uh, say, "We gotta gotta stop making other people rich. What are we gonna do this ourselves?" And I go, "I've been there. <laughs> I'm, I'm interested in consulting right now. That's what yeah. I'm interested in doing." <laughs>
1: Well, it's definitely yeah, definitely pros pros and pros and cons each with the market. Yeah, I'm with you. The market continues to get hot. Um, lenders, I think, are becoming more and more aggressive, which is good, especially on stable parks. They're recognizing yep. the, the fruits of this asset class, and like you know, this is a stable this is a stable asset type. So we should be more aggressive in our our
2: yields. Yeah, yeah, and, I can, and to tap on top of that, I mean where we were and what you and I were talking about with, with particular deals, and not just your deals, but other deals that we had been working on together through through coordinated um, uh, clients themselves, one that was maybe working with you and came to me either from you or from another referral source. I mean, we were talking about low threes. I closed a lot of deals in January and February in the low threes with oh. certain lenders, right? And these were the smaller deals that, 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 that range that we had talked about being around the average of $800,000 and they were in the low threes, mid threes, that numbers jumped. That numbers jumped not only on the agency side, but that numbers jumped on the conventional lending side as well. So, you know, it's the the rates have have already moved. And I think that we're we're stable. I think we're going to be stable over the next nine months with where rates are spreads and everything. Treasuries may bump, spreads, may, spreads will probably be expected to shrink from the lenders, but What we were looking at three months ago is gone now and it's that that type of movement will take place that volatility will take place
1: absolutely let's talk about loan size because i know you you know i've talked about it in the past you know you know in general i think it's agency lenders they say want a million dollar loan size you can squeeze them down to 750 depending on the deal but really they like to say at least a million where where's freddie where does it go from fannie and the, the freddie small business small balance sheet to regular freddie and then How much is that a factor of where you take your borrower? Because I know you have access to dozens and dozens, if not hundreds of potential lenders. If if I'm a new borrower and I'm coming in the door, how do you evaluate where to take my deal? How much of that is me? How much is the deal? How much is the size of the deal? And give us a little bit of
2: insights into that so that our audience can kind of get a better feel for how this works. Yes, of course. I mean, obviously, loan, loan size matters on the agency platform. I think from the institutional lending side, maybe as the, as the conduit or life insurance side, they're, they're entering more and more into the market, understanding this space, but they're still not really present. Um, they're, they're, took, they're taking a look at deals that absolutely make sense, lower leverage style. Um, but I think right out of the gates, the measurements start with what's the composition of the community? What's the makeup of the utilities? Uh, what's the makeup of the the the, the rent roll itself? The inventory? How many community-owned homes are there? Uh, a lot of a lot of people refer to it as park-owned homes. I've always called it community-owned. So it's community-owned homes, and community-owned also includes RTO, right? Rent-to-own units, and a lot of people don't don't necessarily classify them together. But at the end of the day, if that license or if that if if that Um, certificate belongs to the owner themselves still it is community owned and I think the makeup and the composition of the rent roll and the inventory is the number one factor and then if you look at okay what's the utilities what's the infrastructure set up and obviously paved roads that's that's the initial part of itself the physical makeup of the community and it's performing it's performing makeup I think the other side of it is the rural is it rural or is it belonging some CBSA or MSA that that is acceptable to the the agency side itself. Typically with with a community that has pretty much over 15% community owned homes on the inventory, and sits a little bit outside a major MSA, that right away tells me that that is going to be either regional banks, depending on the size of the loan, a regional bank, credit union, or or a community bank. And I, I think overall, the size of it a regional bank is going to want one of the bigger loan sizes. So I, I'd say anything probably around, call it two hundred fifty thousand to eight hundred thousand, is probably going to be at home in a community in a credit union or a community sub-regional bank.
1: Got it. And typically, those those community banks, they're going to be recourse lenders, right? I mean, Correct. We're not, we're not getting a non-recourse land most likely until
2: we're at conduit and/or agency. Correct. Correct. And and I mean even and I've even I've talked to several borrowers that are looking to go even even as low as fifty percent, fifty five percent, that still find it difficult to get a non recourse loan, with any of the, any of the lenders, regional banks, uh, regional lenders, are commercial, all the commercial banks and the credit unions just are not interested in that additional tweak. It still needs to make sense. Any any specific exception that needs to be approved at, the, at the, the committee level where they say, okay, well, this particular borrower will receive non-recourse because X, Y, Z. It's just too much of a stretch. Because remember, these lenders just figured out at the end of the first quarter what the rest of their year is gonna look like. They're still phasing out what was taking place, what took place in 2020 and what needed to be worked out with the new, le- with the new federal regulation rules that were a little bit more lenient, but moving forward, they, were, they still needed to pro forma and plan what what's their, their loan push going to be this year and moving forward with all the workouts completed. So they're still trying to make sense of it and that's why that's why rates have bumped up a little bit. I think that they'll kind of trickle down as they start to say okay, this is what we still want to close this year. but yeah, I mean there's there's still a lot of availability, but anything that needs a little bit of a special exception unless they're an existing borrower, it's just not going to take place. It's going to be full recourse, and, tip, and really, clients on this type of asset class should expect that going in.
1: No, it makes sense. Now, and as part in addition to the recourse, you know, dealing with the bank, you're going to talk, you're going to negotiate terms, amortization schedule, interest rate, yep. points. Um, what about timeline? Is there a way to? I feel like that's been a challenge of late. You when know, a couple of projects I've looked at or been a part of is, I think the bank's going to take forty five days. Between the application and, and funding and it takes 75. And if it's on yep. a refinance, if it's on a refinance, it's annoying. If it's on an acquisition, it's a problem. Yes. So for sure. what guidance can you give on those timelines from a from you know local bank, local community, regional agency, as far as both acquisition and because I feel like and I, I see purchase contracts pretty much every single day. And I yep. see due diligence periods and in, in contingency periods. I'm like, I saw one the other day. 14day due diligence period 14 day lender period yeah I said you can't get a you can't get a survey a phase one and an appraisal in yeah. all those timelines maybe if you start now and you pay extra to get to the front of the line yeah but I wouldn't bet my earnest money on it
2: yeah oh yeah I mean I ever since last year even even mid-year last year when all this was starting to take place and, and as COVID was really in the teeth of COVID were truly in the market itself. And, and the panic had really set in. I had been talking to everybody since the beginning, even, even when I was at the, as the CFO and, and working with the, the acquisitions team at RB Horizons, it was 90 days. It was 90 days, no matter what. Now I'm saying it's taking three weeks to just get a response from a lender, just to get somebody to say, I'm interested in this deal. You know, with, the, with all the other business that they're working on, and PPP, I think, is pretty much over for this next phase, but it's three weeks before I even get responses. In some, in some instances, even on a straight refi, it's taking 30 days, 45 days to get a true term sheet, a true response, and that's providing all the proposal. because remember, I know exactly what these lenders need. As CFO, I knew what they needed in their proposal materials. That's what I present. I, pre- I present the summary, I present what is the sponsorship, what is the project itself. I explain the community only versus the combined operations. And even in that in, even in that standard, getting it to the next level where I'm receiving terms, end of the question saying, okay, I understand this deal. It takes possibly 30 days. So at the end of the day, I would say expect maybe 60, if not 75 days for the financing period and also just plug in there an additional one to two, maybe 30 day extension periods. And that's both with acquisitions and with refi. There are projects that I worked on last year from September and closed in March of this year. Refinances, <laughs> straightforward deals, great sponsorship, still took that long. Because not only, not only is it the third parties and the lenders actually working to get their understanding of the project itself, but then you have title that is very consumed right now with the residential side, and your third parties getting access to the communities, surveys, etc.
1: No, I'm I chuckle because I looked the other day that we just closed that deal with you what, two weeks ago in April, and we started September second. Right, <laughs> it, was, it was six and a half months. Now we had some some hurdles in the middle dealing with cities and dealing with you know some of the legal stuff, but. It's like, right. This is a six and a half month
2: process. Right. Like, well, you gotta be kidding right. me. Right. Yeah. Um, and yeah. That, and that person, I wouldn't be able to and, do it. Yeah. And that's a fine-tuned machine. And that's an agency lender that is it's a fine-tuned machine. Multiple people, right? Have that their their speciality in that team that still took that long.
1: Yeah. No. I, I was. It's been surprising, you know, these deals I've yeah. been working on It's like, man, it can't be this long, but yeah, it's, it's yeah, so it is, it is. That's why I wanted to give that sobering information out there for our audience. Cause I know, I know it, you know, it, but I don't, I've, I was surprised um, and I'm continually surprised on deals, how long it takes a lot of times, but maybe also, could you give us some insights into what it takes to borrow or what I can do as a borrower to get things in order? And I know, you know, your first deal out of the gate halfway across the country, if you got a credit score of zero and net worth of zero, you're probably not going to get the agency loan. Yeah, exactly. You, you might not get any loan. But yeah. what can we do to get ourselves in better position to get approvals?
2: Yeah, I, I would say right out of the gates, again, as we discussed about non recourse and the need for it, if there's any hair in the deal, if there's any just blatant hair in the deal, it's already going to be, it's, you're, you're going to remove a lot of lenders for the potential pool that's going to lend on that deal. But it's also going to make it more difficult for even the conventional lenders that do understand the space to get the thing done but usually when i first initiate conversations with a client i send out kind of an initiation email that states all these different items that i will need and honestly at the end of the day those items i will need all of them and i know in this class it's been traditional traditional that the mom and pops or even the seller says well i don't i don't keep necessarily great books or i don't keep necessarily great records I handwrite all this stuff or et cetera. Well, again, that's part of the hair of the deal. And if we can't get conventional rent rolls, if we can't get conventional financials, something that breaks the stuff down, then it's going to be a tough road up the hill or tough, tough ride up the hill. Right. Um, you know, so I, I think right out of the gates, we're going to need sponsorship to have all their records in place tax returns, personal financial statements updated, schedule of real estate, obviously that is very, that's very much needed and contingent guarantee schedule. What what leverage do they have that's contingent to their name? Um, what guarantees do they have? And that's just the sponsorship side. I think from the property side, expect to, to need the, the traditional rent roll. expect to need personal fi- or p- profit and loss statements for the past full year and ma- possibly two years. Right, Most likely it's gonna be two years. Uh, a trailing 12, it just doesn't take place anymore. Trailing three, that, 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 you know, that's on the sales side, but it's not gonna work on the leverage side. So I think having full financials, having a full scope of the project and be able and understand that there's a community only component versus the home operations. There's a full operations, which you full and well know understand that the community only is only way the lenders are looking at this thing. They're not gonna collateralize the home assets themselves. They're just going to look at what the community operates as, and that means lot rent, any additional permanent structure rents, like self-storage, or or um, you know call it uh, multifamily apartments or single-family residence, that's what the community operates under. So whatever the lot rent is, whatever those structures are, and those expenses classified to just the community, be prepared to understand that difference and be prepared to offer that to the lender, because that's all they're going to make sense of. Home revenues that won't be accepted, and home home expenses as well. And then you know, obviously capex and, and those type of understandings are a different level. That's something that I explain down the road when I work with clients before we do proposals.
1: Lots of lots of good information. So where some of the people make mistakes is not understanding the term of the loan, not understanding the type of asset they have, or where they should where they should get the loan. Not not I say term of loan, I mean term of the loan approval process, and then. Not understanding how much record keeping and how much you got to
2: have your ducks in a row to get these things. Approved. Right. Exactly. That's, 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 exactly. That's, that's definitely and prepare it. that seller. Prepare the seller because your due diligence, your due diligence is there to gather the information, understand the information, understand if you want to move forward with that asset itself. That's why it's so important to have a due diligence period and then to have that bounce into a financing period, not all together. Right, a lot of a lot of people, a lot of the contracts that I see have due diligence combined with financing. And if, if you if you can't give if you can't understand the project, or if you can't if you don't want to move forward with it after the due diligence period, that's your opportunity to get out. But if they're combined together with due diligence and financing, well. You're basically waiting on the finance, and you can't cancel if you don't like the due diligence, right? And so, them 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 being mixed together, them being merged together, kind of puts your earnest money in jeopardy.
1: No, absolutely. Another another big mistake that I want I want you to cover for us. I see people make, and I've I've got. I told you previously, I got some bad information um, from another mortgage broker on this of what the current market is. Is what are the what are the allowable percentages of in general park owned homes? And rent to own or lease to own or contract for deed, because I've heard, oh, it's 35%. And somebody else, right? somebody else say, well, no, it's 25. No, it's 20. Well, it depends. Is it at least? And that's really important when you're looking at your infill. Uh-huh. Um, the, the next refinance that we're working on, um, I had to infill you know, 60 houses. So it was a strategic allocation. Right. Okay, how many am I going to rent? It's easier to rent them, right? All day. Yep. Day. Yep. Harder, it's harder to sell them and get yes. them to prove get an approved buyer. Well, yep. I had it like right now I have five for sale. They're all for sale, for sale only. I got to, I got to get them, you know, they're under contract most of them. Right. But I can't rent them out because it's going to, it could impact my percentage. So I got to watch that percentage. And now if I convert. Yep i also watch oh cool i've got a renter who's been over here for 12 months they they now have their stimulus check they now have their tax refund now they got the down payment now they can buy all right if i convert them i'm taking one off that board i can rent one over here on this board and just so it's it's a it's a kind of a, a chess match if you will of monitoring infill and occupancy and then yeah. the, but really monitoring the type of the occupancy if your plan is to set it up for a agency refinance
2: Right, right. I would say, you know, I I say this to everybody, and I'm conservative all the time in the way I think about these and the way that I, I absolutely give my advice to clients. And I would say 15% is probably gonna be the max. They say it's 20%, right? And there is some leniency now. Agency has become more and more flexible with this, with this asset class, and, and as they move, as they move into this space and really familiarize and understand it, they've made and, and create some leniency in the rules themselves, but I still say it's 15%. That's 15% all community owned. That's RTO plus straight out community owned homes that have the certificates, that have the licenses, right? So 15%, anything over that, you're already pushing the envelope. Um, Lenders themselves, um, again, conventional banks, credit unions, regional banks, they're gonna accept a little bit more than that, but again, they're not going to use and they're not going to collateralize the homes themselves. And they're not going to accept those revenues towards the debt service or anything. So you you have to exclude all of it. So anytime, anytime it's over 15%, over 20%, then you have to start underwriting this thing completely different way than you would as a business business operator and owner and how you're going to buy this thing or refinance it. You have to completely consider this a financing side and an acquisition and ownership side. So I would say I would say to answer your question, 15% is probably that level that becomes pushing the limit.
1: Yeah, and, to cl- and I want to clarify that too because uh, it's not a hard and fast rule. That's a guideline, right? Because you can ask right. for a waiver. It's just if you have for a waiver, you are ask for permission. So, right. The next when I come coming down the pike, I've got I do have more than 15%, but we got to get, right. get a waiver. So everything else has to be okay. And then they're new houses and it's got good infrastructure and that kind of stuff. So it's going to be simpler than. The last park, where if those were all rentals and the homes were 1975, that's going to be a problem. So in the last park, right. yeah, jewelry.
2: yeah, age of the home there too. Sell yeah, exactly.
1: Uh, sell only. So uh, definitely a number of components to go go into this thing. This is all good information, Brad. What what other tips or tricks do you have before we before we go? Or you have any you have any great stories you want to share as far as your your easiest loan or your hardest loan? Um, Sure,
2: sure. I mean, tips and tricks, like I stated earlier throughout the conversation that we've had today, which I very much enjoyed so far. Uh, <laughs> I would say expect again, expect the underwriting and, and your pursuit of the project. It's going to take a little bit longer for you to isolate that great deal anymore. There's a lot more fish in the sea. There's a lot more. I guess there's a lot more, lot more fish or a lot more predators seeking <laughs> these assets, right? And so the 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 more aggressive that they get, right? You're gonna you're gonna have to compete against them. You get to that point where you say, do I get more aggressive or do I just walk away? And is walking away during the whole negotiation process, maybe the best thing you can do to call bluff. Right. And so obviously, obviously agents are out there and I don't want to, you know, I don't want to talk bad against the agents because the agents are providing you deals, but also from a strategy perspective, sometimes just walking away and, and saying that they're just calling my bluff is the best thing you can do because they may come back and accept your offer. Right. Mm-hmm. But I think you have to be more aggressive and understand that you're competing against a lot more people than you used to. And where you think you might be the only one communicating with that mom and pop, most likely it's not anymore. Most likely that, that stone's been unturned and there's a lot of them still out there, but I would say most likely they've been contacted. Um, You know, other tips and tricks, I would say again, underwrite a little bit higher than what you're expecting. So if I'm saying low floors in terms of interest rates with 20 to 25 year amortization, Underwrite it four and a half, underwrite it four and three quarters and 20 year amortization. If that deal still works there, right? Then it's gonna work with most likely what we're gonna get at the end of the day. Because I push in the lenders, I represent the clients at, to, to the lenders themselves, kind of like their partner in the deal. Man, I go after the, the lower rates, but if you underwrite it at a certain higher point and it still works because you're approaching it from a conservative basis, then most likely it's gonna work at the lower leverage level too, or lower rates, I mean. Um, you know i would say kind of i guess with um the nightmare and best deals um one of my most fluid deals uh probably closed in like 30 days didn't have to, to work too much with the uh with the borrower the borrower i've already closed multiple deals with them it was the beginning of this year closed multiple deals at the end of last year and then this year and really just transitioned into needing a refinance they contacted the lender the lender through the representation just needed my underwriting for the deal I submitted it, got it done in probably like 20 days because the appraisal was, mm-hmm. they already had an appraisal from six months ago. They were willing to make, to waive that exception. So they got that deal done pretty quick. Um, you know, nightmare deals. I don't know. Uh, there's There's been several projects that, you know that have yeah. risen from the dead. Uh, or died, risen from the dead, died, risen from the dead. I mean, (laughs) you and I worked on one just recently that uh, it was kind of hit or miss. Didn't know what was going to happen at the end of the day. And, uh, you know, I had to, in in that particular project itself, I had to go to old resources, old contacts from, from former, um, from former um, just companies and, and relationships to, to, you know, throw into the pool and possibly give ideas to the agency or the, the intermediary themselves. Um, but that happens often. I, I can't really say that any deal is a real nightmare because none of them are all but the same. Um, you know, we as you and I know, like no project are no project in any commercial real estate deal, let alone mobile home communities, is ever the same. So they all have their own fingerprint. And uh you just gotta embrace that.
1: No. Great point. And you're right. Everyone thinks that's what makes it exciting, but it also makes exactly. it stressful. Like, man, why can we not get this thing done? Man, and, I no, just worked
2: uh, on something similar. Why is this going through? What's happening oh. with this? What makes it so exceptional? And it's just, just timing a lot of the times. Timing. And th- a lot of times there's, there's factors that we can't control. If somebody else involved with the project, whether it's a third party or uh, some, some sort of a, uh, a municipal agent or representative that maybe throws a wrench in the gears, and we got to overcome that. Because once, once that once something happens and throws a little bit of shadow on the project, that shadow remains. It just it just remains, and you got to overcome it.
1: Right, and then, and part of the curse of that is it, any shadow will delay timelines and time kill yep. deals. So it's yeah, that's what's hard about our, our recent deal. It was like, man, it, it kept lagging and lagging and taking on water, and then you got more bankers involved, you got more underwriters involved, you got yep. other lawyers involved, and you're like, ugh. You guys, yeah, you can that that work, that, you know, that just,
2: dial, that, that cost keeps spinning.
1: Yes, especially yes, on the legal exactly. side. <laughs> exactly. Well, legal fees are okay. Yeah, it depends on it depends <laughs> on if you're paying them or if you're receiving them. So, yeah. I'm I'm, yeah. I'm I'm bipolar when it comes to legal fees.
2: Yeah, exactly. <laughs>
1: uh, well, Brad, this is this is good. Um, where can people find you? How can people reach you after the show?
2: Sure, sure. So as we work and as the business grows, I'm I'm developing out in all the different portals to, to reach out and contact me, including the website. Uh, we've got a place marker there right now, but uh, the new ones all coming out will be released in the next probably week or week and a half. So I'll, I'll, I'll release that website out to my LinkedIn profile here shortly. But I think the best way to contact me right now is via my business cell 303-525-4850 or my email, brad at Group.com. All right. Sounds good,
1: Brad. Thanks again. Appreciate it.
2: Not a problem, Ferd. Thank you very much. I enjoyed it, and best of luck with you and your business. Likewise. Bye now. All right. Thanks.
0: You've been listening to the Mobile Home Park Lawyer Podcast with Ferd Neiman. Ready to learn more? Go to www.themobilehomelawyer.com for free resources and materials to help you succeed. If you love the podcast, go to Apple Podcasts. Give us your review and subscribe today. Thank you for listening.